Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. The Mets made a trade on Friday evening that signifies a larger theme for the team, and that is using Steve Cohen's financial resources in order to get players they want. I actually wrote about this in a column earlier in the day. I did not mention the Angels, but by sending Eduardo Escobar to the Angels for two pitching prospects that they like, and, according to a source, paying down all of the remaining salary for Escobar, other than the major league minimum, which is required that the trading team pay, uh, the Mets are able to get players they want because of Cohen's uh, financial resources. Now, this is something that I would expect the team to continue to explore as the trade deadline season goes on. Uh, going on with some of the other options, there's Patrick Corbin, who's owed more than $35 million next year for the Nationals. Uh, the concept could be to pay Corbin's salary and attach him to prospects. You mentioned the possibility that the Mets could trade for a Josh Donaldson and what's left of his $21 million this year. Obviously, in a case like that, you would DFA Donaldson. You wouldn't have him suit up for your team. Uh, but the point being uh, that Cohen can pay players that he doesn't want. Eduardo Escobar they love, but he's not a player they felt fit the roster anymore. So they're paying him to play somewhere else. And as a result, uh, they got two young pitchers who they liked uh, from the Angels. It's just uh, more evidence of Cohen's financial commitment to the team and the fact that he trusts Billy Epler and his front office to make the evaluations going forward for this trade deadline season. It's another edition of the Talking Mets podcast here on this Sunday, June the 25th, 2023. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check me out all the time at thetalkingmetspodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media. And you can show up a podcast, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at talkingmetspodcast.com. No G. Mike Silva at talkingmetspodcast.com. You can get me on Instagram, talkingmetsnog. And I want to welcome in the good folks from the fan-sided podcasting network as well as risingamble.com. Well, another edition of the Talking Mets podcast just hours after a brutally disappointing Mets loss. We have really come to get used to those in this season, surprisingly so. A lot to talk about. We'll get into the Escobar trade. And is the Escobar trade kind of a preview of what's to come Fire, fire, fire. That's what everybody's been talking about for weeks. Should the Mets start firing people, namely Buck? Buck getting roasted on Twitter. Buck getting probably roasted on talk radio. I don't listen to talk radio. All about his bullpen management. Maybe if the top prospect at third base makes a routine double play. We're not even talking about this, but okay. We'll talk about that. And we'll get into the Mets in London next year. Drew Smith is worried about sweat on his hands. And I'm sure something else will come up as we round out the program. But first, last chance, Mets fans in New York, as we continue our promotion with Caesar Sportsbook. You don't want to miss this Caesar Sportsbook promotion. New customers can get their first bet on Caesars up to $1,250. That's a lot of money. Even if you want to bet against the Mets, no big deal. All you have to do is use our code TalkingMets full at sign up. If you sign up with our code TalkingMets full, remember there's no G after talking. You will not only have your first bet insured, but you will also be directly supporting this podcast. What a great way to support the show. 
So if you haven't signed up for Caesar Sportsbook, join with our code TalkingMetsFull and drop your first bet. This offer is only available for new customers who are 21 and over and physically present in New York. Please gamble responsibly. If you or a loved one has a gambling problem, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. See podcast description for full terms. All right, let's get back to it. So the Mets are a team that has been built on pitching throughout their history. I don't have to tell you that if you're a Mets fan. 1969, I mean, what more obvious team in their history to be built on elite starting pitching, Hall of Fame starting pitching. 1986, another team built on pitching. And even though in 99 and 2000, it was more of an offensive era, the steroids era, and you had in 1999 one of the best offensive teams in Mets history. In 2000, when they won the pennant, it was when they brought in Mike Hampton to solidify that one-two duo without lighter. And let's not forget, a very underappreciated Rick Reed that gave them a pretty good threesome there at the top of the rotation. So pitching, even in 2000, was part of it. And Matt Harvey got called up in, what, 2012? And ever since then, up until the last couple of years, when DeGrom actually officially left back last offseason, it was about pitching. It started with Super Tuesday. You guys remember it. Harvey and Wheeler, doubleheader in Atlanta. And then the Syndergaard joined them, and Mats, and obviously we know what DeGrom has done over the last decade. But somewhere along the line, somewhere in the midst of five aces, if that's what you want to call them, even though that they may never have transpired that way, the Mets started to develop more offensive players, and the pitching kind of went away. The development of pitching went away, and as the Five aces got older and got expensive and moved on and in a lot of ways disappointed, whether it be injuries or maybe not living up to promise. The Mets had to start going to the free agent market for pitching or for trades. They brought in Marcus Stroman, and we know how Scherzer and Verlander and how that's worked out. Spotty results there. Quintana, we haven't seen him pitch yet, but he was brought in this past offseason. Senga. Let's not forget they went and they traded for Chris Bassett. They gave up some prospects to trade for Chris Bassett because they needed pitching going into the 2022 season. They were not able to supply mid-to-top-of-the-rotation arms from their own system. Now, they had Peterson and McGill, and they were hoping a little bit uh, of of help in the back end, or maybe one of those guys would develop into a mid-rotation type of pitcher. Hasn't happened. So now you're at this point, and when you look at today's loss— It goes back to the issue that has been part of this franchise for a while. So forget about Buck and Hefner and Driveline and all the things that we'll talk about in a little bit. The real thing here is if the Mets, who, if you look at the Escobar trade, are going to be retooling. They're not going to be rebuilding. They're going to be retooling. And right now, look, the names are starting to come up. Fans who follow the minor leagues, prospect blogs, even beat writers and those in the mainstream media are starting to say, okay, what's down there? Now, there's not guys that are able to help the Mets this year. Maybe a Mike Vazel, maybe. And maybe not any of these guys will be able to help next year. But you have Mike Vazel and Dominic Hamill and Blade Tidwell and Tyler Stewart and Christian Scott, Calvin Ziegler, uh, Leono Valles. There's a few guys down there that are picking the interest of talent evaluators. We don't know what they're all about. I know if I go to baseball reference, I'm not going to like some of their walk rates, but I know they're developing. And look, we know the Mets at this point can develop offensive talent. Alonzo, McNeil, Alvarez, Beatty, even though he hasn't really shown it yet. Mauricio, perhaps. Vientos at some point. Nimmo, who's an elite offensive player. But the pitching hasn't worked out. I mean, think about the arms that have come up since... Those five aces since Super Tuesday, when everything came together in 2015, you've had guys like Justin Dunn and Anthony Kay, Simeon Woods Richardson. Remember the tantrum that was thrown over trading Simeon Wood Richardson? Look at his ERA in the minor leagues this year. It's over seven. I think the Twins just called him up. Chris Flexen, David Peterson, Tyler McGill. Nobody there is a consistent, even league average pitcher that could give you innings in the back end of the rotation. They're all disappointments. And the current top 10 has more offensive talent on it. Kevin Parada, Jet Williams, uh, Ramirez, 
just to name a few. So after today's loss, the Mets are seven games under 500. They're really right now in baseball purgatory. Look, I'm not here to wave the white flag today. We're not going to do that on today's show. I told you July 4th, I'm going to at least give this homestand a shot for them to go on some kind of run. There is nothing that indicates that's going to happen. So nobody could blame you if you're in the audience listening saying, Mike, just wave the white flag. Put this season out of its misery. Admit it. They're not going anywhere. Perhaps. That's a highly high percentage chance. I mean, what are you, eight, nine games out of the wild card? You got two really solid teams ensconced in that wild card race with the Giants and the Dodgers and Miami playing a little bit over their heads. Let's see. It's not even half a season. Look, it takes a, a lot. takes a lot to finish the baseball season out. 81 games is not enough to say that you've arrived. The Marlins have a lot of work to do. And the Mets could go on a run. I mean, they have the roster to do it, although the bullpen and the lack of Diaz and, and some of the underperformance in the rotation makes you wonder if they could ever even get a two- or three-game winning streak going, much less six, seven, eight, nine, or 10, which is really what a team needs at this point in the position that they're at. I mean, think about it. Seven games under, just to get to 500, just winning two out of three, uh, you need to go seven series, 21 games, Three weeks just to get to 500. You're bringing yourself into the late July at that point. Right around the corner is the trade deadline. Not a lot of time. I mean, look, the 2019 Mets did it. They went on a crazy run. But those are anomalies. Playing 650 baseball is an anomaly. And eventually, playing catch-up catches up to you. So most of this right now, most of the signs are indicating that this is going nowhere. So what does that mean for the New York Mets? What does that mean for this second phase? We got, we got to know the 2023 New York Mets. We don't like what we see. We don't like the 2023 Mets. We know a lot of you don't like the 2023 Mets. And we know what they need. More starting pitching, more bullpen help. You know, maybe they're okay. I think they're okay offensively. You know, do you realize, and I pulled this off of Twitter, that over the last 30 days, the Mets are a top 10 offensive team. And out of all the teams that are in that top 10, they're the only team with a losing record. They've scored runs. Maybe they've had brownouts, but they've scored runs. Even with Alvarez and Beatty going through predictable rookie peaks and valleys. So around the start of Friday night's game in Philadelphia, the Mets trade Eduardo Escobar. Now look, I'll just say this. Eduardo Escobar was a... Really positive Met. I know he didn't hit like everybody thought. He didn't provide you the run production and the power consistently that you saw him produce out in Arizona. I will say he was big for the Mets in September when Marte was out, when they needed him. He got a a pretty big hit in game two of the wild card series. So he wasn't a complete waste, but he was a disappointment on a reasonable contract. But he was a good veteran. He showed a lot of class. Uh, He was beloved in that clubhouse by all quarters, not just the Latino players. And he handled the situation with Brett Beatty. And I think Steve Gelbs talked about this on the pregame show today in the best way possible. You know, there are players that come into this league on bad teams or disappointing teams. Think about the early 90s Mets and guys like Ryan Thompson and Jeff Kent. I've even heard Ryan Thompson, and I mentioned this before, talk about it. And the veterans of these clubhouses are just awful, 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 awful examples but that's not what Brett Beatty and Francisco Alvarez and Mark Vientos or Ronnie Mauricio joins them or walking into with this team. Now, maybe you don't like the players. You don't like how they're performing and how they're underachieving, but I don't think it's a bad group of guys. So putting that aside, the Mets go out. They trade Escobar for a couple of arms. Uh, and I'll probably get their names pronounced wrong, but you know you have Coleman Crow who's one of those arms, and uh, I, I'll definitely, jeez, uh, let me see if I could get, uh, I can't even get uh, the other guy, Landon Marceau, is that how you put it? Landon Marceau, I think that's how you pronounce his name, Landon Marceau. A couple of arms from the Angels organization. Coleman Crow, in some prospect rankings, is as high as eight, falls into about 10 or 11, and is falled into about 11 with the Mets. Marceau seems more of a contact pitcher, a guy that reads like a back end of the rotation guy, doesn't strike out a lot of guys, but could give you innings. You know, maybe he becomes, you know, Trevor Williams, swingman type of thing. We don't know. But 
I think right now, as you start to look at the Mets prospect list and you start to see how this season unwound so quickly when the real depth that they anticipated would help them, Peterson and McGill, just went by the wayside. I mean, the Mets really didn't have 8, 9, and 10 in depth. They had the five starters. They had Peterson. They had McGill. And once Quintana went down and Verlander went down and you were left with Scherzer, Senga, Carrasco, you dipped into those two guys and that was it. Jose Buto, highly regarded at different points, has shown nothing. None of the other pitchers are, uh, are able to produce at this point. You know, Dylan Bundy and those kind of veterans that the Mets have. Is Dylan Bundy even with the Mets organization anymore? I don't, I don't even know. I'm actually going to look that up. Is Dylan Bundy, is Dylan Bundy even with the team? Uh, and he just, you know, he's another guy who got, I look at the news about Dylan Bundy. He got tossed about a month ago for sticky stuff. So it's like, come on. Unbelievable. You know, Dylan Bundy. Yeah. I mean, Dylan Bundy's got an ERA and six starts down in the minor leagues of 10.08. So he's not an option. He's not somebody that's going to help the New York Mets in the big leagues and, and do anything different than, than what you got. So if we had listened to a lot of the fans back in April, when Escobar was hitting 095 or whatever he was hitting, and they just like, just get rid of him, release him. Billy Epler's lost. You know, that's the end of the, you know, he's done. I mean, think about it. Whether you think these guys will go anywhere or not, the Mets got two pitching prospects. You don't believe that Crow, uh, Coleman Crow falls into the top 15? All right, they're top 30 then, you know, prospects for a guy that you are ready to release. And better yet, you saw the power of Steve Cohen's wallet where he eats the entire salary. Very opportunistic. And basically the Mets bought these two prospects for about whatever the remaining, what is Escobar making somewhere in the neighborhood of $10 million. And I think now, as we head into the 4th of July holiday, you're not going to see a lot of trades right now. You know, a lot of teams still are going to feel they're in the race. That's what happens in a three wild card scenario. We're getting used to how the game is changing now that there's more playoff teams. You got another 30 days before the trade deadline, but we all know guys like Canna and Vogelback and Robertson has a tremendous amount of value, as he did last year. Adovino, Rayleigh, Nervaez, Guillaume, you know, maybe even Marte. You know, the Mets have to have a serious conversation about whether Marte, who's starting to show some life with the bat, as he continues to get into his late prime, into his late 30s, is that body going to hold up and... If you get a good offer, you have a couple of years left on that deal. Do you want to get out of this deal early before it could get to be sunk money, sunk cost? And Marte's a backup. And that's a big conversation they should have. You know, that's that's something that you have to really get inside baseball on because you're not in the locker room. You're not there in the trainer's room. That's the conversation they have to have Buck have with Buck and the coaches and obviously Epler and his talent uh, his talent evaluators. But right now, for the rest of this season, whether they make a run and they want to stick around and try to see if they could peck away what's a pretty decent gap in the wild card. They should be focusing on making similar type of deals like they made because when you look at other seasons where this has happened to the Mets, 2017, 2018, where they were selling off Familia, Jay Bruce, whatever. They didn't sell off anybody in 2019. Brody Van Wagen went out traded prospects to get Stroman, who had controllability. The Mets would never take on salary. They would basically be dumping salary, and they would have to take you know, maybe prospects that fell into the top 30, but more of prospects that, even though they had maybe a tool or something that was intriguing, were very highly likely to fail. They were lottery tickets, and all prospects to a certain degree are lottery tickets, but there's some lottery tickets that make more sense than others. So... Now that you have the blueprint, I think that's what you're going to see. Look, we talked about the R word last week. I don't think this team rebuilds, not as long as Scherzer and Verlander are under contract. And I know what you're saying. Well, why don't the Mets go out and see what those guys get fetched? They have no trade clauses. They're making 40-something million dollars a year. Cohen's not going to eat the rest of their contracts. Not many teams can afford to put in a $43 million salary or $40 million salary, whatever it comes out to be. I think it's 43 for Verlander, 40-ish for... Scherzer, whatever it is. It's a lot of money. And I don't think at this point you have to punt on next year and do a total knockdown, raise, and rebuild. You will have to do that if you don't get this pitching situation in order. Because you can't buy five starters. They're risky. 
It's a risky investment. You know, Cohen's an investment guy. These are risky, risky, risky investments with a high probability of failure. Now, the Mets have been smart where they haven't gone long-term with any pitching contracts. That's one of the biggest reasons why Jacob deGrom is not with the Mets. And it turns out they've been right about that. And to a certain degree, that's why Chris Bassett wasn't there. Now, you got Singh on a long-term deal, and there's some risk to that, but it's a reasonable deal. A reasonable deal. And it's funny thing. You know, I've been critical of Senga and all the things he doesn't do. He's been their best starting pitcher. I mean, Scherzer's come around. It's funny. We're dumping on Scherzer. But, I mean, maybe at this point you're looking at Scherzer and Verlander being five or six inning pitchers. The third time around the order may be because of their age and because of the creakiness may be a problem for them. They're not going to want to admit that. So you're starting to look at this roster. You start to look at the starting pitching and go, hey, look. I don't have seven or eight innings every start, 30 starts at the top of the rotation. I may have guys who could give you Cy Young performance for five innings, but I need to figure out 12 outs. Without my closer this year, really hard to do. And that's what you saw with this loss. See, I'm not going to get into the loss today. The loss today is what happens when you lose at Edwin Diaz. These are the kind of games that we knew when Diaz went down in March, we probably would see a few of them. And with the optionable relievers that maybe between all of the ones that Billy Epler brought in, he thought he would find a couple of lottery tickets. You know, guys like Brigham have been okay. Walker have been okay. But they've been inconsistent because maybe they're optionable optionable relievers. And maybe you could criticize Epler for not stacking the bullpen with veterans, especially when you have that kind of payroll. But that's water under the bridge, and that's a, more of a conversation you have to have with him when you're doing kind of a, a recap of the season or a first-half recap. So, regardless of whether or not we wave the white flag over the next seven to ten days, and, and you'll know by next week's show, when I, when I done the Mets, they're done. Don't worry about who duns them on SNY, who duns them in the media, who duns them on Twitter. I'll, I'll be honest with you, because I think you guys have learned to trust me, to know I'm fair. I'm not going to put blue and orange sunglasses on. I've been critical of this team back when they were 14 and 7. I was worried about them. You can't walk the amount of hitters. You can't get the less than five inning starts. You can't give up the amount of home runs that this pitching staff has done and expect to be a playoff team. You are a second division club with those kind of numbers. You just are. And we've been focused on all the wrong things. Bucks lineups, you know, uh, playing Beatty. Alvarez doesn't get enough at-bats. Tommy Pham stinks, and I don't care about how hard he hits the ball. Well, see how that would have worked out if he got rid of him. You know, Vogelback. I mean, all the stupid stuff that people focus on. And now, finally, I see them. Oh, you know, the pitching's not that great. Well, I've been saying it since April. And I don't think Verlander and Scherzer are done, but I think maybe they're at a different phase. They may not be able to go more than twice around the order. And that's a problem when you don't have a bullpen that's elite or deep. And the Mets don't have that right now. Certainly not without Diaz. So, pitching, pitching, pitching. That's the only thing Billy Epler. If there is any kind of retooling, they're going to stay in this thing. Now, I am not. If they continue to even, you know, flounder around 500, I am not in favor of them just riding this thing out to the end to see if they can make a run in September. That's foolish. You could get the guys I listed, Rayleigh, Adovino, Vogelback, Pham. Um, you know, I'll go on and on. I mean, these are guys here. Uh, Nervaez, maybe even Marte. You know, these are replaceable guys. Maybe they'll hurt you for the short term this year, but you could replace them. You could find what they do. You know, Scherzer Verlander, that's different. You start diving into the core players like Nimmo and Alonzo and and things like that. That's different. Those are less replaceable. Those are a different conversation. But that should be the focus. And every one of these trades, whether they take back money, or it's straight player for player. You got to get back pitching, preferably starting pitching. And if it's starters that turn out to be failures, hopefully they could come out of the bullpen. There needs to be more pitching in this organization. You can't buy all your arms. You can't buy all your bullpen arms. You can't buy all your starters. It, even with the richest owner of the sport, it's not going to work because they're going to get hurt. They're going to underperform. And when they underperform or get hurt, you look down to your bench, which is your minor league system, and you got nothing. You might as well throw me out there at that point. I could throw slop over the plate and get whacked. I could walk Bryce Harper. I could hit Kyle Schwarber. I could hit Trey Turner. So could you. 
Any 4A pitcher could do that. And look, I don't think Jeff Brigham's a bad pitcher. I don't. You know, it was a tough spot. He should have been out of the inning. He should have been out of the inning. And, you know, everybody gets on, you know, Buck about the lineup, whether he makes the lineup or he's got input in the lineup. And, you know, Beatty's got to play every day. Mauricio's got to play every day. And Vientos's got to play every day. What has Beatty done, guys, to indicate that he deserves anything right now? Okay, he played better defensively than we expected, but exactly what I was afraid of, a big league third baseman, and especially a guy that's a top two prospect, makes that double play. Makes that double play. Now, is he going to learn from it? I know he took accountability after the game. That's all great. But you know what? He don't look big league to me. As a matter of fact, he looks like he belongs in AAA. He doesn't hit the ball in the air. He hits the ball on the ground. He doesn't hit the ball hard. He doesn't with any kind of authority. He doesn't really play great defense at a big spot. He's better than we expected. So not to get off on a tangent here, but the problems aren't, and I'll get to that after the break, the problems aren't in the dugout, in the front office. The problems are from rookies to veterans to component players have underachieved from the start. Why? Totally many things you could debate about that. We could go on for four hours on a show about that. But what I do know is going forward that the Mets showed on Friday with the Escobar trade that there is life in this front office and there is a plan. And they're not just going to let 2023 go to crap and do what other iterations did when the Wilpons were in charge, which is let's just dump salary, dump salary. Sure, you don't want to relieve yourself of some salary. It's great to save money. But, I mean, a guy like Cohen's going to look like this, you know, me saving in this with this payroll, you know, prorated ten million bucks for half a year. It's probably five million he saved with uh, Escobar. What is that really doing? Now the prospects, the money you pay for the prospects, that does something, and they should do that. And you can get some value. You know, it's funny. For years, I heard how teams don't want to give up anything; they want to hold on to their prospects. And then last year, when the Mets were in a position to, to trade, whether it be Naquin or Vogelback. You know, these were trades that were expensive. They weren't debilitating trades. It wasn't like you gave up the next Jared Kelnick. But they were expensive. When you really, you know, Colin Holderman's a decent piece, and you would think you could get Vogel back for a lot less. But that's what the cost was. Part of that is they know the Mets need to win. Part of that is what the market the Mets are in. Maybe part of that is the owner. So that's... In front of us now. Now we know the trade deadline strategy. Whether they're in it or out of it, whatever, they're going to go out there and they and it's, it was reported weeks ago the Mets were going to use the deadline as a chance to retool, unless there was a, you know, they were right there with the Braves for the division, which that that you know that that was a fantasy for for a long time. You know, you had to play at a very very high level to win a division. I didn't think that they had it in them for a variety of reasons. We're not going to get back into that. So, all right. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, fire, 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 fire. Everybody wants someone to be fired. Calm down. Okay? Grow up. Calm down. That's not how you run businesses. We'll talk about that and more right after this. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Mike Rowe here with a radical idea. If you want to see more companies make more things in this country, buy more things from more companies who make things in this country. I refer in this case to the incredible t-shirts, sweatshirts, blue jeans, and more made by my friends at American Giant. Everything American Giant makes is made in the United States. And right now, you can take 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com slash Mike. That's American-Giant.com slash Mike. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. 
every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Andy, as, they, as the Mets here continue to struggle, do you expect any changes to their roster or their coaching staff? You know, not really, Sal. And, and breaking it down, why? I guess with those two things. With, with the roster, you know, the angry mob was sort of on uh, some veteran players for a while. And, and there might have been a case for cutting one or two of those guys. But guys like Tommy Pham, obviously, has been performing all year and is finally showing up in the, in the results. He's been hitting the ball hard all year. Vogelback, obviously, has been better. My point is, like, there's no obvious serve this guy up as a DFA big, dramatic roster move. They can keep rearranging optionable relievers, as they'll continue to do. But this this far away from the trade deadline season, I don't see any big roster shakeups. And when you look at manager and coaching staffs, you got to remember, I think, or and I need to remind myself, too, where Billy Epler came from, which is the New York Yankees. It would be such a dramatic break from the way Epler was trained. And plus, Steve Cohen has told Joel Sherman in the post mm. has told me, has told anyone who will ask him that he doesn't believe in firings either. So there's no pressure on Epler to fire anybody from his boss, and he doesn't believe in it. So it's very hard to imagine how uh, any kind of shakeup in the manager or coaching staff happens during the year. You know, Andy, it's interesting. I feel like we're in a sports culture moment here where somebody's always got to be blamed, right? right? If a team is struggling badly, it's someone's fault. They need to pay with their job, revenge, all that stuff. Mm. I think fans really, I don't there's a visceral feeling there, Sal, that fans really uh, embrace right now. And so I I don't think that there are a lot of Met fans who are going to be happy with the ideas that you just presented there. Uh, But I I agree with you. Mm. Uh, I don't know what good it would do to fire, you know, a, a coach from a team that is disappointing and underachieving. It would be better if the millionaires started playing the way they should right. be playing. Well, you can't fire well. the players. That's no, what I'm saying. No, you can't right? so, fire the players, but what, what good I, is firing a coach oh, So, so you're, gonna just gonna wear, gonna, you're just going to wear losing no, and being it, over, 14 games back uh, for you that they were supposed a, to go out there and win the World Series? Understood. They are a crushing disappointment yeah. this year. They're one, one of the, the worst. They're one of the worst disappointment, disappointments in baseball. In, nope. in, in yeah. franchise history. But look, it's a long season, though. They do have a good roster, right? Yeah. They have a, a underperforming, a monumentally underperforming roster right now, but it's still filled with decent players who should be better yeah. at and, some point. And they also do have a coaching staff that they believed in at the beginning of this. I mean, you look at Jeremy Hefner, the pitching coach, who's respected by the pitchers. If he were to be let go, which I, as, for the reasons I just stated, I don't believe he will be, right at the end of this season, there'd be Many, many teams lining up. He'd be a hot commodity. So they have to think about, do the people that we have, are they good? And do we have to figure out how to make them part of the solution? Or do you just fire someone to fire someone? I think I agree with everything Anthony said. I think it's the long and unfortunate reach of George Steinbrenner, who was just an emotional enough person and is awful like Nadir in the 80s before they started winning again, where it was just like, I'm mad after a bad loss. I'm firing this guy. I'm firing that guy. Stick, you're the third base coach. Now you're the GM. Billy, you're in the front <laughs> office. Da, da, da. And that was terrible. It wasn't working. But I think it conditioned the sports public. And I, I don't know. I'm, and maybe I'm reaching here, Sal, but like WFAN started yeah. in the 80s during that time. So maybe like George Steinbrenner trained the New York sports like fan to think like firings is a thing that happens when actually these two current teams as, as they're run don't believe that. Fans are illogical and irrational and they should be and you should have some stability and level-headedness in the organization. However, when you have a failure to this level with those expectations, that's how people generally lose jobs. McCarron in that clip could not have said it better than I did about making changes with this team. And I think Andy Martino, who is a plugged-in inside guy, that's the guy that you want to listen to. Not the educated speculation from the beat, not the the fan blogs or the content creators who think they know business, they don't know business. You don't run a stable organization or dispel the criticisms that Steve Cohen had to face when he was trying to hire a manager, when he was trying to hire a president of baseball operation, when he was trying to hire a GM a couple of winters ago. Mind you, an organization that has had a tremendous amount of turnover dating all the way back to when Sandy Alderson stepped down because of his illness back in 2018. You don't dispel that 
by hiring a borderline Hall of Fame manager midseason because his team is performing poorly. Now, yes, Bucks bullpen management at times this year, he has made moves that I don't 100% agree with. I'm not sure today was one of them. Maybe you could argue at 6-3 with the top of the order coming up, go with Robertson in the eighth like he has, and then go to Brigham in the ninth. But for whatever reason, he was trying to, with the lefty on lefty with Josh Walker, try to get out of it. He's made some other moves throughout the year that maybe with bullpens you could question. There is not a manager in this league that the fans haven't had an issue with bullpen management at some point this year. And after living through Terry Collins and to a certain degree Mickey Calloway and Jerry Manuel and Willie Randolph, this happens all the time. Buck is the best in-game manager this organization has probably had maybe in their history, going back to Davey Johnson and Bobby Valentine. Maybe since Bobby Valentine. The last manager that I really was, you know, Buck is the first manager since Bobby V that I felt 100% comfortable with. You know, maybe for a small period of time there, Willie Randolph, but he did goofy things. I mean, think about that. With 20, with two decades it's been. So the Mets have had a competent manager, and there is a bunch of you who can't wait to jettison, jettison him out. Now, Billy Epler, look, I get it. You don't like the fact that he used optionable relievers instead of veterans for the bullpen. He knew there were going to be injuries. He knew that there was going to be roster machinations, the pitch clock, all that. He rolled the dice thinking he could, you know, with his Diaz, Rayleigh, Adovino, Robertson, get good health there for the most part, and then use the back end of the bullpen to shuttle it didn't work. He probably needed one more veteran reliever. And then when Diaz went down, that became even more glaring. Want to criticize him on that? Fine. You want to criticize not signing Chris Bassett and going for Quintana? Fine. Hard hard there. They had a lot of money to spend, and they had to rebuild an entire starting rotation and re-sign a very key offensive player. It was a lot of heavy lifting this winter. This was not an easy winter. And when he was trying to do all that and figure out where the markets were going for those guys, he decided to jump in quickly into the optionable reliever market with guys like Brigham, so on and so forth. This is also what happens when you don't... And they were handed this farm system. They were handed this farm system. It's not like Billy Epler was here six or seven or eight years ago. Whatever the player development, and some of those guys are still there, Hey, Billy Epler didn't not develop pitchers since DeGrom and Harvey and Wheeler. He wasn't around. He was in Anaheim. You want to look at his track record in Anaheim and say this is becoming Anaheim East? Maybe. Maybe. But it's too soon. It's too soon. And David Stearns is going to walk through this door and wave a magic wand. And let's not even, let's go to the next step forward here. You guys all wanted analytics. Well, you got it. Jeremy Hefner, who correctly pointed out by Andy Martino, who would have no trouble getting another job if he was fired, is an analytics-driven pitching coach. He was hired by the Mets. And go back. You you don't believe me? Go back and Google his name when he was hired because he was a former player who was an assistant pitching coach with the Twins and was young enough to understand pitching and the mechanics of pitching because he did it, but also take analytics and bring it to the players at a time five or six years ago where that was a much bigger task. Now, as a new generation comes in who have been exposed to it, maybe through the college ranks, earlier in their careers with whatever kind of private coaching, maybe that won't be as big of a deal, but it is because in an age of data, you need to have somebody that could say, this makes sense, and here's how this applies to you. And I don't think he's done a bad job. This year, there's been a lot of disappointments. I can't blame him for Scherzer and Verlander. I can't blame him for Quintana getting hurt. You know what? Seng has been okay. He's helped him transition to the American game. Got to give him credit there. You want to hit him for Peterson and McGill? Great reporting by Tim Britton over at The Athletic. What the problem with those two guys is, Peterson lost his out pitch, his slider. A pitch that has a 50% swing and miss rate, a strikeout pitch. Can't find it. Can't get a command of it. McGill, that rising fastball, especially for a guy who has to rely on it because he doesn't have a deep repertoire, he's lost command of that pitch. Those two guys have lost it. Now, is that because of driveline? Is that because of analytics? You know, that I can't answer. I could speculate. The injuries, you know, I don't know if the injuries for the pitchers have had something to do with that. I mean, driveline is a velocity-based approach. Eric Yeagers, who came here as director of pitching development, who's more 
in charge of the young pitchers who we haven't, I mean, they're not even ready, so we can't even make commentary on the driveline part of this. I don't think driveline is hurting the New York Mets at the big league level right now. Maybe Peterson McGill, I can't answer that. What you could argue, and this goes back to both the general manager and the pitching coaches, are they trying to take on hard-throwing guys who really don't know how to pitch and trying to turn them into something else and not able to do it? That's possible. If you look at the guys they brought in who you know throw hard, I mean, dating back to when they brought in the guys like Jacob Barnes, these are all guys that Stephen Ridings that throw hard. Conrad, Coonrod, I should say. They all throw hard. They have injuries. You know, lat this, you know, shoulder that. You know, that might be the driveline, but these are the kind of pitchers they brought in, and that goes back to the philosophy of the analytic-based front office. That's Hefner. That's Epler. That's every team. That's every team. And then you want to talk about Buck. I mean... Did Buck botch the ground ball on Beatty? I don't think so. That inning, we're not even having this conversation if Beatty gets that ground ball, as most third basemen would. Escobar would have made that play. I mean, really, at this point, you want to criticize Buck? Why the hell was Beatty still in the game at third? I mean, late in the game now? And if you want to develop him, I get that. But he hasn't earned it. And then people get mad at Buck because, and whether this is the front office in conjunction or it's just Buck driving it, we don't know 100%, because they're actually trying to make rookies and young players earn their position? Look at Alvarez. He hasn't hit a lot since he, he went bananas against Tampa and Colorado and stuff like that. But he hasn't hit really much at all. I mean, think about it. He hasn't really hit since he came up here. I mean, does he deserve to play every day? I'm not saying Danny Mendick should play every day. But why would Beatty play against lefties if they're trying to win? You know, you got to think about it, too. If you're going to create a culture of accountability and rewarding performance, you can't tell a group of 26 guys, hey, by the way, Beatty, Alvarez, they're on scholarship. It doesn't matter. You don't manage men like that. You don't manage a business like that. Now, as they fall out of it, when it's officially over, I think that that philosophy will change. And I think you'll see more of it. But right now, they're not in that mode yet. And you can't send that message to the team because what you're sending the message to the team at that point is we're in playing out the string mode. I don't believe Buck is going to do that. I mean, let's let's look at Alvarez. You know, everybody talks about everybody needs to play every day because they're top prospects. I mean, Alvarez is hitting a buck twenty-five against left-handed pitching, and in June he's hitting a buck sixty-four. He had a good eighty plate appearances so far this year. Eighty plate appearances. Now he's played pretty good defensively. He's shown a lot of promise. I'm very bullish on Alvarez. A lot of people, Chuck Johnson, a good friend, former scout on Twitter, has told me, you're going to love Beatty and he's going to make you forget David Wright because he's going to be the third baseman for a decade. I hope he's right. But you're asking Buck to incorporate two, potentially three rookies in the lineup, navigate a bullpen that lost a guy who had a Hall of Fame closing season, navigate a starting rotation that very rarely goes five innings, navigate Hall of Famers in a point in their career where they may be coming five to six inning pitchers and navigate this while you have significant underperformance early on from Lindor, Marte, McNeil. I don't think there's a manager in the history of baseball that can navigate that. And then I see on Twitter, oh, let's bring Carlos Beltran on. The same bunch of morons, forgive me, I'm the morons that couldn't wait to fire him because, oh my God, he cheated with video. Really? And very rarely do I get this angry because you're all hypocrites. You have no idea if Carlos Beltran is a good manager. When he was hired, and I was okay with it, by the way, because I wanted an experienced manager, and once Girardi was off the board, you know, I wasn't so into the Dusty Baker. And you know what? I thought about Buck back then, but Buck's reputation was one of not being able to get along with an analytics-based front office. That has been proven wrong because clearly he's okay with it because I don't think 
He would be putting out those kind of lineups. And I saw someone even on Twitter today with me saying, look at the Phillies that put out the same lineup every day. Look, you're preaching the choir. I'm old school. You're lead off hitter. You're number two. You're number three. I don't like this moving guys up, down, left, right, because, you know, I don't know. Some algorithm from some calculator said they'll score .2 more runs today. But that's the world we're in with analytics. That's where this game is gone. I can't stop it. I want an experienced manager. When that didn't happen, hell, bring in Beltron. Maybe he could get the best out of, you know, the Latino players. You know, he was a guy that was every version of the players in the clubhouse. Go back and listen to the show. You know, he used to he was the guy that was the hot prospect. He was the guy that was on the back side of his career. He was the star that was expected to carry the team. He knew New York. He went through hell in New York. He had, you know, one of the biggest failed at bats in team history. But you have no idea. You know, you put Carlos Beltran in that dugout tomorrow. You have no idea. What is he? You know, he's going to make Brett Beatty feel that ground ball. You're going to like his bullpen decisions. Oh, by the way, you don't like Buck's postgame press conferences? Let me tell you something. Carlos Beltran was going to have a lot of trouble with that because I heard him during his initial press conference. He wasn't Mr. Charismatic. He wasn't Mr. Charismatic when he played. Now, could you say maybe Buck could do a little bit better job with the media? You want him to do some of that faux outrage like Terry Collins? You want him to be less combative? Hey, this I know better. I could, I could buy that. I could buy that. But it means nothing in the scope of it. It makes you feel better. And you heard what McCarron said. You heard what Sal Licata said. You heard what Martino said in that SNY Baseball Tonight clip. The fans are emotional. You're not qualified to run teams. And anybody who's a content creator, and I'll throw myself in there. Our opinions are like you know what. And this is a family show, and I won't use that term. Opinions are like you know what. We all have them. Here's the reality. And get it through your head. Steve Cohen's not thrown over a table. He's not upsetting the apple cart. He's not firing anybody. He's going to evaluate how this group does and how they can make the most out of a bad situation. And you know how that's going to work for these guys? Buck is going to try to teach these young players. This is how you do it in the big leagues. And I got good faith that he could do it because he's been around long enough. You know what Epler's got to do? He's got to figure out how to turn some of these assets because they're going to be teams that are going to need a Tommy Pham or are going to need a Robertson, or maybe Adovino, or who knows? You know, maybe uh, Quintana or Carrasco. I think it's probably tough there. And he's going to be tasked with trying to bring back some real talent, something that Sandy Alderson couldn't do. The three GMs that ran this thing couldn't do when they did sell-offs. That Zach Scott didn't do when he was here for a hot minute. So let's see. I don't know. Maybe these two kids he got on Friday never see the big leagues. All I know is one looks like he's got a live arm. The other guy, eh, you know, he might be less sexy, but, you know, maybe he's a guy that could give you six innings, three runs. By the way, six innings, three runs, if that's what Landon Marceau could do, better than what Peterson McGill give you. Hey, Carrasco's not even giving you that. So why don't, you guys stop worrying about firing people. And I think McCarron hit it best. It's a very cruel culture we're in now. It starts, you know, back how they're taught. You know, maybe it's because they've, from the day they were born, they could snap out on a forum or Facebook with their opinion emotionally. Fire this guy. Punish that guy. We're all about punishing people. But the people that, you know, when you do, when you, when you go back at them with that, oh, you know, it's about inclusion and fairness then. Then it's not so cool anymore. But it's almost like it's Stratomatic Baseball, Fantasy Baseball. Uh, let me go hit the drop button. That's how they want to run a team. Like they run their CBS Fantasy team. Drop, drop, drop. Oh, I don't like this. I'd love to see their fantasy rosters. They probably change players every week. Up, oh, guys 0 for 10. Pop, drop. Dope. He's now, uh, you know, hitting 320 after that stretch. Really? I hate to be rude. But I'm tired of it. Like, learn how business works. Like, Steve Cohen's not George Steinbrenner. How things went in the 80s with the Yankees, and even to a certain degree, the dysfunction of the 80s Mets, those were cool times for newspapers and for the birth of sports talk radio. But it's not how the world is anymore. This is a – the money's way more than it was then. The people are way different. And it's much more corporate than it was in 1988. Or back in the 70s when Billy Martin was getting fired every other week. So, 
Nobody's getting fired. Nobody deserves to get fired. And here's the best part. Coaches, managers, whatever, a lot of these guys will get jobs real quick. We should tell you that they are good at what they do, but they can't make the big pitch. They can't make the big play. They can't lay off the high fastball. It's up to the players, and the players have failed. They have not played well all year. And they're all going to tell you that, and they don't have an answer for it, and all they could do is go out tomorrow and try to make it a new day, and maybe that's the day that the streak starts. I don't think so, but that's all they can do. you got to ride this out. This is not a team that's fixable through firings or trades. It's a team that either wins or loses with the current roster. I've told you this for weeks, and the only trades that are going to be made or the only changes that are going to be made are guys that are going to be sent off for assets to build this team for the next year and the year after that. And they're going to go back to trying to win next year. I don't think they're at the raise and rebuild pay, uh, uh, point. They're at the retool point. So, all right, we're going to take a quick break, wrap up. You're listening to the Talking Mets podcast. We'll be back with more right after this. The Talking Mets podcast is available on many outlets, but the most popular is Apple Podcast. Hi, I'm Mike Silva, the host of the Talking Mets podcast, and I encourage you to leave a review about the program on Apple. Just rate it one to five stars, hopefully a five because why wouldn't you? And then if you have time, leave a review. It helps the podcast continue to grow and encourages others to take a listen. You can also email me at MikeSilva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G, TalkingMetsPodcast.com. Hope to hear from you soon. And enjoy the rest of the show. All right, we're back. Final thoughts. Boy, am I getting roasted on Twitter from for my defensive buck. And look, I'm not saying look, I didn't even I even said the last segment. I mean, not all the Bucks bullpen moves do I agree with, but he's come in here, he's built a culture, he's built trust with the players. You know, look, if things start to crack in the clubhouse, you start to hear things about Bucks lack of communication or you know, he's not clearly defining roles to the players. He's not managing that clubhouse. You got to manage the clubhouse, you got to manage the bullpen, and you got to manage the media. Now, maybe he's not doing a great job managing the media. The bullpen, we could debate. There's a lot of issues with that bullpen, talent wise, especially without Diaz. As far as the clubhouse, we haven't heard anything. That'll be the thing to come out, and we'll see. And when teams lose, nobody's happy. We know that. A couple of things. So, I was I was briefly watching the Cardinals and Cubs while I was out yesterday. I happened to see a game on TV, uh, the London series. Now, we have a lot of UK Mets fans in this audience. I mean, you guys send me emails all the time. And Mets are going to play the Phillies. I think it's June 8th next year, June 8th, June 9th, something like that. And that's going to be a lot of fun. Let's see, Mets, Phillies, London, 2024. Let's see, Mets, Phillies, London series. Um, so it looks like June 8th, um, June 8th and 9th, so it'll be a two-game series. The Yankees and Red Sox have done that. The Cardinals and Cubs did it this weekend. Now, my thing is this. I'm all for these series to showcase baseball across the, the globe. Uh, I was a little surprised this was talked about. I don't know if you saw it on Twitter. I know they averaged a little over 37,000 in the ballpark. It wasn't. Sold out. I mean, that game, and I think the Mets played down in, they've played in Mexico. There was a time they played, I can't remember if it was, it was Puerto Rico, I believe. I mean, those play, those games get sold out. When you go down to South America, Mexico, any kind of uh, Latino country, those games are going to get sold out. Now, those ballparks, unfortunately, are not big league ballparks all the time. The winter ball ballparks. But they sell out. A little disappointed not seeing the sellouts here, but... I was reading that the tickets were somewhat expensive. I get that. Look, this is a big part I've talked about with in-ballpark experience. Inflation is hitting all of us. Food, gasoline, you know, the cost of just about any basic service. You know, if you have children and, and, the, and the expenses that come with raising your kids, can't expect people to pluck down. I mean, to go to a Met game and get decent seats if you don't want to sit in the nosebleeds, it's going to be 150 bucks a ticket. Let's face it, I've seen this stuff. Now, you could go on the secondary market and play around, maybe go. But if you want to go to a nice fireworks night, a weekend game when you're off from work, get decent seats against a good opponent, it's going to cost you. And I'm sure that's the case with this London series. But some of you, I know our friend Liam, Liam that, 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 that writes in, and a few of the others, I don't want to leave anybody out that are from the UK. I love you all. 
And I, I, I'll even say, you know, I got a great email a couple of weeks back when I brought up the Ted Lasso. So I guess what I expected is like what I saw in Ted Lasso with the fans cheering and being into it. And I, that's unrealistic because those are not their teams. The Cardinals and the Cubs are not their teams. But um, I guess I expected a packed house. And if it's about the cost, I totally get it. Look, the economy everywhere, not just the United States, people are hurting. And, uh, and, and that's a challenge, right? Uh, but I wonder if the New York Mets will change it. You thought iconic teams like the Cubs and Cards would. You know, maybe people don't have the money to travel across the ponds coming from the States. But I think the point is to get the U.K. baseball fan and we know they exist. And what I'm really looking forward to next year is how we can interact with you guys in the UK. Now, someone asked me, are you going? I don't know if I could pull off going to London next year in June. It's, it's, it's tough. I'd love to. I don't know if I could pull it off. Something to think about. Got to ask my wife, right? Um, but regardless, I'd like to do something before the series, after the series. So my message to you guys, and I, and I know I have emails from you guys out there that I have to get back to. We're going to do something fun, whether we do a panel, an experience. We'll do something. Maybe you guys could share your experience, you know, send in videos and photos, you know, things like that. We'll do something fun, God willingly, that I'm still here, that you haven't canceled me by next June. I don't think I'll do anything to get canceled unless you want to be upset about Bucks bullpen management. But I'm really looking forward to seeing the Mets in London. I'm all for these kind of series. I think the baseball should do more of them, obviously, it's tricky with the time change. You know, the Mets played in uh, Japan many, many years ago. What was that, 24-hour difference? I remember watching Mike Hampton on opening day against the Cubs in 2000. It was like 9 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> I was watching baseball. And, you know, you're driving to work, you know, and the game's over. That kind of thing. Because, you, you know, listening to the ninth inning, well, you should be having breakfast or something like that. But I think it's good for the sport. Getting it across the globe, the NBA has done a fabulous job with it, and it's fueled a lot of their growth going all the way back to the Dream Team. I think baseball needs to do more of that. So um, thought it was it was cool to see. Looks like an interesting stadium. Not sure the experience. If you want to let me know your thoughts, I don't know if any of you, whether you're a Mets fan or not, who are listening, were at the game. Let me know what your thoughts were of the London series and what you'd like to see next year when the Mets play the Phillies. And hopefully Diaz will be back. And uh, Buck will probably be the manager. And hopefully the eighth and ninth inning will be handled differently. Or else you could yell at me from across the pond about bullpen management. We could do that. All right. Second thought I had here. Drew Smith. I'm reading an article, and I think it was Tim Healy in Newsday or Dave Lennon. I can't remember. I think it was Newsday. Forgive me on that. How Drew Smith now, and I really didn't get into the whole suspension because I think this whole sticky stuff has gotten way out of control. Spider tack and that stuff... I get. But now it's sweat is a problem. Rosin, which is on the mound, is a problem. Too little, too much. And none of these umpires, if you ask them to really dial in their decision-making process, none of them have, like, science behind them. Well, your hand feels a little sticky. Well, your hand feels less sticky. It's dumb. Okay, we've gotten to the point where now you have a pitcher, this kid, and I'm not a, you know, I think Drew Smith is not a high-leverage reliever. I think he's a sixth-inning guy. But Drew Smith... Um, is now afraid about what's going to happen when he comes into a ball game, and he's contemplating changing his routine to have either less rosin on his hand or less sweat. Here's what's going to happen. Less rosin, less sweat, or the guy starts to be fearful of putting anything on his hand, he's going to hit someone in the head and he's going to hurt somebody. you got to smarten up. We're playing around with the game too much. Things change organically. Okay, there has to be a way to train the umpires to know the difference between spider tack or some kind of real illegal sticky stuff and sweat and rosin. I can't imagine all these years, years and years and years, spitballs, sandpaper, Mike Scott, Joe Negro. I mean, Mike Scott, where there was scuffs on every – I mean, I've had guys like Ed Hearn talk about it. There's supposedly Nick Davis, the 30 for 30 uh, director, you know – Sore baseball, if I remember correctly, when he came on the show. And, you know, we're at a point where now we're worried about sweat, and the guy has to worry about how much sweat he has on his hand. You know, talk to these guys when they're in St. Louis in August. And I know that it hasn't really been summer, at least here in New York, so it hasn't gotten too hot. Today was a little bit of a scorcher. But this is ridiculous. The whole thing is stupid. It's random. 
And it's not because the Mets have been picked on this year. I know there's been some conspiracy theories because of Cohen. I'm not ready to go there. But this guy is actually now, Drew Smith, afraid of how his routine is going to impact with the sweat on his hands. It's absurd. This game and this league, and I'm very cranky today. I mean, you usually don't get this kind of spirited, Mike. This game and this league drives me crazy. They drive Because they're like Washington, D.C. bureaucrat politicians sometimes. There's no common sense in this game. None. None. At least on replay now, it seems like they, they're not overturning like the fingers three centimeters off the base. They, they kind of got that out of the way with replay. And I like the new rules and the pitch clock, even though I think it's having somewhat of a negative impact on the Mets and maybe some veteran players. But that's where the game needs to go. But this whole sticky stuff and checking hands. I mean, I've seen umpires go... Like, touch a hand. Like, like, come on. Like, I have gel, right? I put gel on my hand. I put it in my hair, and then I wash my hands, right? And then, you know, and I get, like, there's always sometimes that little stickiness. I mean, like, is that enough? Nobody afraid they're using hair gel? Like, I don't get it. And that's the other thing. If you have any kind of gel in your hair, I mean, not that you should be styling your hair, I guess. You have a baseball hat on, but who knows what these guys do? You know, like, and you wipe your hand on your, like, all of a sudden, like, come on. You're going to tell me that's having that much of an impact on the spin rate of the baseball? Hitting is hard. These guys have learned how to throw wiffle balls up there. That's the real thing. That's the real thing. As I still think the sticky stuff, which was a big deal, was being used. I think we've taken it to the other extreme. That's just my thoughts. And the fact that this guy's now afraid that his routine needs to change. You're going to hurt someone's arm. You're going to hurt someone's career. He's going to be focused on what's on his hand rather than pitching, and he already needs as much focus on executing as possible, Drew Smith. He doesn't need any other stuff on his plate. So there's that. So anyway, I'm done. <laughs> I've got to sign off. I'm in a cranky mood today, and it really, you know, yes, it's part of it is the, the terrible loss that the Mets had today, but part of it is just the stupidity around me. You know, it's just... Learn the game. Understand how the business works. Like, really. I mean, the Met fan was miserable last year in a 100-win season. The Met fan's clearly miserable during this season. I mean, this is a tough place to play. You're seeing the yoke play itself out right in front of you. The pressure. These guys, I think part of these guys, the pressure got to them. And they already were behind the eight ball because of some of the injuries that happened early on. The, the the trend since Correa has been bad. The Mets really haven't had a good day since they signed Carlos Correa before Christmas. Think about that. They haven't had a really good day. Correa was signed. We celebrated. We waited patiently throughout the holidays. Got disappointed after New Year. Diaz got hurt. Verlander got hurt. Everybody was scattered about spring training. Temporarily patched it up with a 14-7 start. But deep down, we all knew that there was bad signs. And here we are, seven games under staring at the All-Star break in a few weeks, staring at 4th of July, and staring at a what I don't want to call a rebuild, but a retool that um, we didn't expect. So anyway, I want to thank everybody for tuning in to the latest edition of the Talking Mets podcast. You can check me out all the time at thetalkingmetspodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media, and you can show an Apple podcast, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at talkingmetspodcast.com. No G. Mike Silvat, TalkingMetsPodcast.com. You can also get me on Instagram, TalkingMetsNoG. And, of course, I want to thank the good folks from the fan side of Podcasting Network as well as RisingApple.com. I am your host, Mike Silva. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday. We'll be back with another Talking Mets podcast next week. Till then, take care, everybody.
say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Spring, is that you? Warmer temps mean new Albert styles. Meet the Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely their fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Try the Superlight Tree Runner with a cushy foam midsole and breathable eucalyptus fiber upper. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. So, what can you do in a Superlight shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S.com code SUPER24.